Welcome to the Employment Law and HR Podcast with your host, Allison Colley. Hello and welcome to this episode number 33 of the Employment Law and HR Podcast. I'm your host, Alison Colley. Thank you very much for tuning in. This is a podcast for anyone who's interested in employment law, managers, HR professionals, um, anyone with just a general interest in employment law. It does have a focus on what employers should have to know, but that's not to say if you're an employee or you just have a general interest, you can't listen. So thanks very much for tuning in. I do hope that you find the podcast useful. In this week's episode, I'm going to feature on a particular case that's with regards to victimisation in terms of discrimination. So... Without further ado, I will head into this week's featured segment. This case is one that was dealt with by the Employment Appeal Tribunal and it is called Thompson versus London Central Bus Company Limited. Now, the reason I've picked this case to talk about this week is because it's actually quite an interesting one in terms of both the facts and the legal issues that come out of it. And it's all surrounding the Equality Act. So it's about victimisation in terms of discrimination. So I'll start with telling you about the facts of the case and then I will talk about what the decision was and what the law is and what the law means for you. Now, this case was one, as I said, in the Employment Appeal Tribunal. And it was brought by Mr Gary Thompson, who was the employee in this case, against his employer, who were London Central Bus Company Limited. Now, Mr Thompson had been employed as a bus driver. Now, Mr Thompson was dismissed from his employment as a bus driver on the 24th of October 2013. And he was dismissed at a time when he already had a final written warning for a disciplinary offence. And the reason that he was dismissed, the reason given for the termination of his employment, was that he'd given away his high visibility vest, which was issued by his employer, and which he was required to wear to a colleague. Mr Thompson, as you'll imagine, he appealed against his dismissal, and he also issued a claim in the Employment Tribunal for unfair dismissal, for notice pay, and for victimisation. During the internal appeal, so the appeal that took place by the London Bus Company, His dismissal was actually overturned. Um, He was given a 21-day unpaid suspension and the dismissal was substituted with a final written warning. So he was allowed to return to his employment with just a final written warning rather than dismissal. Consequently, his claims for notice pay and for unfair dismissal in the employment tribunal um, stopped so he didn't have to continue with those because obviously he was reinstated. But he did continue with his victimisation claim. Now, in Mr. Thompson's victimisation claim, he was basically saying he had been victimised because he was associated with another person. So what is victimisation in terms of the Equality Act and what was he claiming? Okay, so the the definition of victimisation provides that, and I'm going to read it to you because I think it's important that you know what it actually means. A person victimises another person, B, if A subjects B to a detriment because B does a protected act or A believes that B has done or may do a protected act. And then it goes on to say that each of the following is a protected act. A, bringing proceedings under the Equality Act. B, giving evidence or information in connection with proceedings under the Equality Act. C, 
doing any other thing for the purposes of or in connection with the Equality Act and D, making an allegation, whether or not expressed, that A or another person has contravened the Equality Act. Okay, so that's what the definition is. So what does it actually mean for you? Well, what it means is that people have protection from victimisation if they make a complaint under the Equality Act. So let's just say that an employee complains that he has been discriminated against by a colleague and he is then subjected to a detriment because he's actually made that complaint. So if the employer ignores him, ignores the complaint and then actually starts to make his life difficult because he's made that complaint, then that would be victimisation. So the legislation is there, the the victimisation claim is there to protect employees and for people from making those complaints about discrimination. So it's so that people are encouraged to come forward and they don't feel that if they come forward they're going to suffer even further. And as you'll see, it uncovers, it doesn't just cover actually um, making a claim in the employment tribunal, for instance. It also covers somebody who might give evidence um, on behalf of somebody else or um, it could be that, that they've made an allegation that they're going to pursue a claim. Any of those sort of things would amount to a protected act and therefore the person has protection from being treated to their detriment because of that. Now what was actually happening in Mr Thompson's case was that he wasn't claiming he himself had made a protected act, so he wasn't saying he had made an allegation under the Equality Act. His case was that he was associated with a particular manager who was called Mr Goodger, who had in the past committed such acts. So Mr Thompson was claiming that he had told management that he had overheard a conversation in which it was suggested that the London bus company had targeted certain employees who had asserted that there had been a breach of the Equality Act. And he was saying that in the mind of the employer, the London bus company, they had grouped him or associated him with those people who had done protected acts. Um, And that his having those discussions and the association with those people then resulted in the disciplinary allegations relating to the high visibility vest. He was saying that it was a consequence of him being associated with people who had done protected acts. In Mr Thompson's claim form, he specifically said that um, the disciplinary proceedings had followed soon afterwards, soon after the incidents that he was talking about, and were overseen by individuals who had been implicated in what he had said, and that the allegations were contrived. So essentially, he was saying in an ordinary situation, if if it wasn't for him being associated with those protected acts, then the disciplinary wouldn't have taken place and he wouldn't have been dismissed. So he was alleging that he was treated to his detriment. What is interesting about this case, first off, is that the the question about whether somebody could bring a claim for victimisation because of being associated was discussed And under the Equality Act, it it makes it clear that claims based on association or perception can be brought regarding discrimination, but that's for direct discrimination and harassment. So the wording of the Equality Act is clear that it can be because of somebody else's characteristic or the characteristic of another person. What wasn't clear was whether associative discrimination could be extended to victimisation. And in Mr Thompson's case, 
at the first preliminary hearing, the tribunal decided that he was able to rely on the protected acts of others in order to bring his claim for victimisation. So he wasn't saying, once again, let me just stress this, he wasn't saying he had done a protected act to which he'd been victimised, he was saying somebody else had. And so the Employment Tribunal agreed that he could do that. And so what they'd said was that the Equality Act must be taken to be read as victimisation occurs where a person A subjects another person B to a detriment because of a protected act. This removes the requirement then for the um, person making the claim to have performed the protected act. Now that decision wasn't um, wasn't appealed, okay? So that decision stands. There was a second preliminary hearing of the Employment Tribunal at which the tribunal were looking at the link, okay, or association between Mr Thompson and the people who he was saying had performed the protected acts. So they were looking to see whether how close the association was and whether it could be construed that his association with those people was the reason why he'd been treated to his detriment. And what the Employment Tribunal did in the second preliminary hearing was they said that it was too tenuous. So it was so tenuous that Mr Thompson was not entitled to protection from victimisation by association. So Mr Thompson was actually appealing against the decision of the Employment Tribunal to strike out his claim at the second preliminary hearing because it was too tenuous of an association with those people. What he argued was that the Employment Tribunal should have made their decision based on a full hearing and not made their decision at that point. At the Employment Appeal Tribunal, the outcome was that they agreed with Mr Thompson and they agreed that the tribunal shouldn't have struck out his claim and reached the conclusions they did without actually hearing evidence on this point. They also went on to say that there was no requirement for a particular relationship to be established between the person complaining and the protected acts of others. In particular, the Employment Appeal Tribunal said that they could see no reason why the employment judge in the case should have thought that membership of the same trade union could never give rise to the association necessary to found a complaint of associative victimisation. Therefore, the requirement was actually for Mr Thompson to show that he had been subjected to a detriment by reason of a third party's protected act and that any link between him and the third party could exist solely in the the mind of the employer. It wasn't a question of him showing that there was a particular relationship. The outcome of the Employment Appeal Tribunal means that the case gets remitted back to the Employment Tribunal for it to be decided, the outcome of the claim, to be decided on the basis of all the facts and not just um, to be struck out. So it's not necessarily the case that Mr Thompson has met all the criteria to show that he was treated to his detriment, but that he has the opportunity now to present evidence of that fact. So what's interesting about this is the issue here was not whether there was a relationship between the victim and the third party, but whether in the mind of the employer, the act of the third party was the reason for the treatment of the employee, so Mr Thompson. So what does this mean for you? There's quite a lot of law there and it's quite a complicated case because it's about victimisation by association. It, what it does is it extends employees' rights, in my opinion, this case, so that somebody who hasn't actually done something that could be classed as a protected act could, if there were circumstances going on at the same time, allege that they have been treated to their detriment because of something else somebody has done. Um, is this going to happen in your organisation? Well, 
you know, stranger things have happened and you could find yourself in this position. What I would say is that you should ensure that you behave proportionately at all times. There's less opportunity of your decision making being questioned if you behave in the same way for the same allegations against or the same level of allegations against all staff. So I think if the London bus company in this particular situation could show that the decision to discipline Mr Thompson was made entirely separate from the people involved in the allegations about the protected acts and that there is a clear disciplinary policy in place in relation to that issue and that others who have breached the policy have been treated in the same way then it's less likely that Mr Thompson's going to show that in when they made their decision to, to discipline him they had in mind his involvement with those other people who had done the protected acts before. What I'm trying to say then is I must emphasise to you that you have to keep in mind various factors when you're deciding to discipline someone and you should take care to ensure that you act fairly at all times. That's all you can do as an employer really is be, be proportionate and apply your policies evenly across the board. That's the case of Thompson versus London Central Bus Company. I will keep an eye out for the outcome of the employment tribunal case to see if they actually find in Mr Thompson's favour or not and once I know that I will communicate that to you so you can have a look but I will put a link in my show notes to the um, full judgment of the employment appeal tribunal if you're interested in hearing more about the um, the law uh, the actual legal side of it rather than the practical element you can have a read of that it's quite interesting reading you can find those show notes at advice for employers .co.uk forward slash podcast forward slash 33. Okay, now for my HR best practice tip of the week. And this is um, a straightforward one, really. And it's about communication. I've been dealing with a couple of issues recently where the communication has been terrible. And it's not through through volume of communication because there's a high volume of communication between the parties but it's about the method of communication and I've seen cases where a number of emails for instance have been sent backwards and forwards between the parties who each have their own position on a, on a particular issue and which do not seek to resolve it in any way. So it's not about the volume of communication always, although that is important. It is important to communicate with your staff. It's about the method. Emails can be construed in so many different ways and people can overthink them and they can misinterpret the, the tone of the emails and then the seriousness. And some for some people, having it in black and white that they've been criticised, for instance, about work or that what they've been doing can really get their back up whereas having a conversation and seeing somebody face to face and looking in their eyes and being told about that what could be a fairly minor issue they wouldn't get their back up half as much as if it's put in writing because people think that if it's in writing that obviously it's much more permanent that it's going to be relied on later on and they might feel the need to then defend their position much more so than if they were in a face-to-face meeting so it's not only as I say about the volume of communication but your methods really consider who you are communicating with the purpose of what you're saying and 
if you need to, one, if you need to say it at all in an email, um, and two, whether that should be communicated to them face to face. We're all busy people and when you run your own business or you manage staff, it can be hard to get away from your desk and to get away from your computer and to take that time out because it does take more time to have that face-to-face contact but it will pay dividends in the long run and it will reduce your time in dealing with something that could be a minor issue that could be blown out of proportion by a misinterpreted email. So that's my HR best practice tip is actually speak to someone, speak to your staff, speak to people face-to-face and um, have that conversation. So thank you so much for listening to this week's episode of the podcast. I do hope you're enjoying the content and that you're finding it useful. If you'd like to go over to my website, which is adviceforemployers.co.uk forward slash podcast, you'll find all of the show notes there in the past episodes. For those of you who are located on the South Coast or you want to travel, I am holding a an employment law and HR 2015 update seminar on Thursday the 22nd of October. The doors open at 5pm for coffee and networking until 5.30 and then there's going to be a presentation with question and answers that will last for approximately an hour and a half to two hours depending on how many questions there are and it's going to be based on all of these topics I've been covering in the podcast as well as some information about what's coming next year and a summary of some of the key legal issues and HR issues that are important for employers. The seminar is taking place at The Point in Eastleigh in Hampshire and there will be a small charge for attending and that is um, it's going to be £4.89 and you can find the details on the website and it's adviceforemployers.co.uk forward slash events. £4 of the entrance fee will be going to save the children to go towards helping children who are involved in the refugee crisis from Syria. It'd be really great if you could come along. It'd be lovely to see you there. Um, Places are limited, so do book up soon. And thanks very much for listening. Thanks again for listening. Just want to finalise by saying I wouldn't be a lawyer unless I had a legal disclaimer. So I must just say to you that the information in this podcast is for information only. It's general review and a general update. It's always necessary to get specific legal advice about your circumstances. So please don't rely on anything that you've heard in this podcast. But please do feel free to contact me if you'd like further information or specific advice.